0: City Church, and everyone. You know me, I love sports and I love Jesus, so let's combine them real quick. I, uh... I grew up passionate about sports, but my favorite for me, because I think I was better at it than the other sports I played, but the favorite sport I ever played was baseball. Till I die, it will be my game. I love the sport of baseball, and so I played it my whole life. I was passionate about it. My senior year of baseball, I was playing in summer league after I graduated, and I wasn't going to be playing in college, unfortunately. I wasn't that good, apparently, but... uh, It was my last hurrah and we happened to have a really good team. I was playing in in the state of Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. We had a really good team that year so it was a lot of fun and there was this tournament in the summer that was this very in the Midwest. It was a very important tournament in, in our little world and and it was the top 4 teams in like a five or six state region that got invited to just a quick two-day tournament. So, for those of you that don't know sports, I'll try and explain it real quick. Uh, a two-day tournament with four teams just means you're going to play a game Friday night and you're going to play a game Saturday, right? And so they they rank you. So, it was the the number 1 team in the five state region, the number 2 seed, the number 3 seed, the number 4 seed. Now, our team was the number 3 seed, so on Friday night, the first night, we would play the 2 seed and the 1 seed would play the 4 seed and on Friday night, we played the two seed, and man, we kind of whooped them. It was awesome. And then the one seed was uh, from our capital in Missouri called Jeff City. And these guys, if you've ever played sports, you know what I'm talking about. These guys on the Jeff City team and the number one seed were what I call man children. They were men amongst boys. Like, I don't think I hit puberty until I was like 20. I don't think I grew a hair on my face, one, till I was 20. These guys had full beards. These, I'm talking about 17, 18-year-olds with just full man muscle. These guys were, uh, I think three of the guys of the starting nine were literally uh, going to take on Division one scholarships. These guys were just just different than us. And so we were just happy to win the first night, but we stuck around for the second game to watch Jeff City do what we expected they would do. They absolutely pummeled the four seed. And so then we knew we were going to have to play them the next day on Saturday for the championship. And our whole night at our hotel room Friday night, we were just joking about it. We we had already lost. We were we were joking about how bad we were going to beat. The guy who was pitching that day would eventually get drafted and go pro. Uh, I, I didn't follow his career. I don't know how far he went, but he was, if you don't know baseball, he was an 18-year-old kid who threw left-handed, which is good when you're a pitcher, and he threw in the mid-90s. And this was back in 1992 when kids weren't quite as good as they are now. And so you just already, there was gonna be a bunch of pro scouts on that, at that game we were playing on Saturday, and we knew none of them were there to watch us. They were there to watch this kid pitch, and we already, we just thought, you know, he'll probably throw a no-hitter against us. So long story short, we're just beat before we're beat. You ever been there in sports if you've played it? Just beat before we're beat. Our coach, who was uh, the best coach I ever had, he really did have a, 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 sincerely, he had a profound effect on my life. He knew we were beat before we were beat, and so he does what a good coach does. He calls us all in right before we're about to go out and do our final warm-ups before the game, and he looks at all of us, and we all really love this coach, and so he said something he had never done before. He looked at all of us and said, gentlemen, I need to ask you a question. We're like, what, coach? He's like, Do you trust me? Which was weird, because he's never asked, like, do you trust me? And we're like, "Yeah, yeah, we trust you. What's up? He goes, well, then it's time to do it. And we knew exactly when he said that what he was talking about. Now, what he was talking about is this, and just I'm going somewhere with this, so let me explain this. What he was talking about was uh, we were about to take what's called a round in baseball. Now, if you don't know baseball, that's just where you go out and you warm up. Both teams warm up before the game, so you can kind of see what both teams are made of. Jeff City took their round before us, they warmed up before us, and it confirmed all our suspicions. We're dead. These guys are animals, so good. And, and what, what they do is you know, they start by hitting a pop-up to the left fielder, he throws it into second base, the second base throws it back to the catcher, then they do center field, then they do right field, then they do ground balls and double plays on the infield, and it's just, you get to see how good or bad the team is, right? And they were incredible. And then he says, it's time, we're gonna do this. And what he was talking about was something for fun we had done in practice, and we said, one time before the season was over, we would try, it was what's called a blind round. And what a blind round is, is when you go out and you do your whole warm-up set, except you don't bring a baseball, you're basically mimes the whole time. And we were like, are you kidding me, coach? We're already going to be embarrassed. We're already about to get destroyed. And now you just want to humiliate us in front of these men, children, like you want us to go out and mime, take and practice. And he's like, hey, here's the deal, though. We're not going to do it unless you promise me one thing, unless you own it. Like, we meant to do this. Like, we're sending them a message, and we're like, all right, fine, we'll own it. So we go out there. I play catcher, and so normally I would take the ball, and I would throw it to him, and the coach would hit his first pop-up, and we knew that whatever our left fielder decided to do, if he was owning it or not, that would set the tone for how we went about it, and our left fielder owned it, man. Coach kept looking at me like, throw me the ball. I'm like, we don't have a ball. Oh, the fake ball. My bad. So I throw him the fake ball. He hits the fake pop-up. Our left fielder does one of these catches it. Crow hops, throws it into the second base. Second base catches it, throws it into me as the catcher. I grab it. I tag the fake player at home base, throw the fake ball back to coach, and we go through the whole round just not using a ball. And Jeff City was over there doing their own thing, but about halfway through that round, it all started to catch on. And about halfway through that fake blind round, I look over and all of the Jeff City men children are just lined up staring at us. (laughs) Just bewildered, confused. They didn't know what to think. And and as that round started happening and I looked over at their faces, the whole tenor of our team started to change. There was all of a sudden this confidence that came to us and listen to me, 4City, it all started because our leader, our coach said, do you trust me? Because I'm going to ask you to do something that makes no sense on paper. But if you will trust the process, I promise there's going to be some beautiful results from this. And here's the cool news. We beat them that game like major upset. I got a hit. I think I closed my eyes when I swung, but I actually got a hit off a guy throwing in the mid 90s who would eventually go pro that day with pro scouts there. I still didn't go to college on a scholarship, but whatever. And it all started with, do you trust me? You sticking with the metaphor here? Like, I'm not talking about a coach today, I'm talking about our God. Because this is, as we're in this series in Acts, and now we're starting to look at what's it look like to walk it out. This is what God will continually, time and time again, say to his church and his bride when we are living in a world and in a culture where the odds look so stacked against us all the time. He's going to say, do you trust me? Because the kingdom of God, I promise you this, is always going to ask us to do things that make no sense on paper. But the coach knows some things about some things that we don't know. And what he asks of us is simply this. Do you trust me? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have some fun. We've been in Acts and Luke for a long time. And so I said, I'm going to mix it up. We're going to break out. We're going to go to the Old Testament to talk about Acts. I'm actually going to do something daring today. Ah, It's not that daring. Don't be dramatic, Chad. I am going to, to teach us about us, the church, I am going to use an Old Testament battle narrative because I'm a dude and I love the war stories, an Old Testament battle narrative that shows us what the New Testament church should look like. So I wanna start though before we go to 2 Chronicles, we'll go there in a second, but I wanna start by setting this up in Second Corinthians chapter 10 because you wanna talk about a blind round. Listen to what the church, when we're talking about walking it out, When we're talking about being the church we should be, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 about how we, the church, play this game called life. He says this, For though for a city we live in the flesh, physical bodies, blood, bones, organs, skin, all all that, though we live in the flesh, Paul's saying this to us, he says, make no mistake about it, we do not wage war according to the flesh. We don't do things that make sense on paper according to this world, in other words. He says, listen to this, listen to this language. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. He says, instead, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. He goes on to say, listen to this, we the church tear down arguments. And let me stop there real quick and just remind us of this. We the church tear down arguments. We don't tear down people in those arguments. It's great to tear down arguments. It's great to flip some tables. You remember Jesus' most probably righteously angry moment in the Gospels is when he goes into the temple where people are extorting poor people and hindering them from worshiping because they were charging exorbitant prices to get the sacrificial animals they needed to go into the temple and most of them couldn't go in. You want to talk about making the... Anytime you do anything to hinder worship of God's people, it will make our creator righteously angry. But can I remind you, not one person was hurt in the filming of that scene. Just tables were hurt. Jesus will flip tables and systems all day long. Jesus will tear down arguments all day long. We get invited to tear down arguments all day long. But one thing Jesus has without question taught us is you can tear down tables without ever hurting people. And that's what we, the church, and this is where I I, I grieve for the church right now is we're uh, we're in such hostile times. In our culture, and everybody's fighting for right and wrong. And it is a beautiful, noble thing, church, to fight for right and wrong. But we got to remember Jesus tore down tables, not the people who were extorting people, because he came to save those people. So we can throw some tables over, but we don't throw people over. And, and that's a side note. I shouldn't even preach that, but that's I, I read that and I go, we gotta, we gotta remind ourselves, we tear down arguments, not people. We tear down every presumption set up against the knowledge of God and then here's our responsibility. Here's how we fight in the spiritual realm. We take captive every thought until those thoughts are obedient to Jesus Christ. So I wanna take what we've just read in this principle about what the church should look like and I want to show us how it plays out in an Old Testament story. Now, if you're newer to the scriptures, or if you just need a reminder, a little theology 101, whenever you're in the Old Testament, there is so much nuance. Whenever you're in the Old Testament, there is so many different themes and things happening. It can be overwhelming sometimes. So let's just simplify it again. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament, the ultimate thing you need to remember is that you are reading about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, the Bible calls the Old Testament a shadow or a type that is pointing us to the coming of Jesus. Everything written in the Old Testament in one form or fashion is just getting the people of Israel and the people of God ready for the Messiah to come into the world and save the world from itself, okay? And so when we read this war story, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. They're about to have a massive battle. They weren't expecting this battle. Not one sword is gonna be swung. Not one spear is gonna be thrown. Not one life we see on Israel's side is gonna be taken. And they never once fight the way the world fights. You know what's gonna happen the whole time in this battle? I love it. It's just pointing us to the book of Acts. The whole time in this battle, when it is fully won by God and his people, the only thing that happens is they have church. Watch. Tell me I'm not lying. Let's read it. This is 2 Chronicles, right? So there's this king. Uh, his name's Jehoshaphat or Jehoshaphat. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'll call him Jehoshaphat. Uh, you guys know I'm dyslexic and I got to read a lot for the next few minutes. So will you give me some grace? Because at some point this will go off the tracks. I promise you that. Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites, that's Jeff City, the enemy, the men children. The Moabites are bigger, stronger, than faster than Israel, just in case you're wondering. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mennonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, uh, sir, king, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. The other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazes on Tamar. That is En-Gedi. Now let's stop there for just a sec. I did some heavy lifting for us so we can understand this. This would have been Hazazar Tamar and En-Gedi would have been from where King Jehoshaphat in Israel was. This would have been about a seven at most a 72-hour walk. They were 24 miles apart when King Jehoshaphat gets news that two minutes ago he had no clue what was about to happen. Can you imagine that? You're the king, you're the leader. You're in charge of all these people, women and children's lives are held in your authoritative hand, and you find out two minutes ago that you have at most 72 hours before a coalition, not just one nation, but a coalition of nations are about to come against you. You have three days to prepare for battle. And so it says this, alarmed, who wouldn't be? Jehoshaphat, resolved, I love that. Great leaders, one thing great leaders all have is a deep spirit of resolution. They're resolute people. Listen to what he's resolved for, though. Resolved to inquire of the Lord, he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. To which we would all say, oh, that's great. Fasting's wonderful. And I imagine some of those big steroid men, children, soldiers in Israel who had been training their whole lives to go to war. They've finally been waiting for this moment because that's what they do. They are warriors. I, I picture them being like, wait, what, we're going to inquire the Lord? We're going we're to fast? Like no, Jehoshaphat, we love you. We trust you. You're a great coach, but it seems like you're asking. It's kind of like when our coach asked us to do, do miming during baseball. Against this enemy that was so much better than us, right? Like, like, this is God going, I want you to take a blind round. And Jehoshaphat got it. Because if I'm one of those soldiers, I would have been like, sir, fasting's wonderful. You know, we do it around Passover. It's very sacred. We appreciate that. But shouldn't we, like, right now, like, be carbo-loading or something? Shouldn't we be, like, painting our faces blue, Braveheart style, and, like, headbutting each other and wrestling a bit and sharpening our swords and getting all ready for war? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? We're going to fast right now when we have to go to war in 48 or 72 hours? But listen to what the people of Judah did. This is what what happened in the book of Acts when a beautiful revival broke out. The people of Judah actually came together. It's like, coach, we trust you. We're gonna own this. We're gonna do this. You wanna take a blind round? We'll take a blind round. The people came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. That's like the, the language of Acts. They were all together in one place. Everyone unified around this purpose. And what I wanna talk about first, and I wanna keep my time good because I, I want this song at the end. You have a time of ministry. The First thing I wrote in my notes here is I wanna talk to you today. We're, we're talking about how to walk this thing out, but I wanna switch it up today and talk about how to walk this thing in to the church, to these four walls. We preach a pretty mean game about going outside of these four walls and that the most important days are not Sunday. It's Monday through Saturday when you're out there in the community. And I will say for a city, I agree with that. But we do have to be careful because I want today to remind us about the power of the gathering. I want to remind us today about the beauty of this environment that you just by faith today chose to show up to. Some of you may do it out of conviction. Some of you do it because it's the right thing to do. Some of you would go, yeah, I kind of want my kids in church, but I don't necessarily love it. It's not my favorite thing. My hope today was that we would see that there is power when we gather together here on Sundays. I came today to remind us and to promote the beauty of this experience that we get to have 52 times a year together. So the people of Judah came together. uh, And here's what I want us to see. The church, when we gather, I'm not talking about when we scatter. That's so important when we scatter, we go do our thing. But when we gather, man, there is something unique that takes place. This isn't some just nice holy little huddle where we do a little Christian karaoke for a little while and then someone comes up and gives a, a half-hearted TED talk and we you know feel a little bit better about our week. When we gather, this is what I call a concentrated coalition of faith. There is no other environment you and I will ever experience throughout our week that can even come close to what we experience in this place when we are doing it right. I love the marketplace. I love Jesus in the marketplace. Most of you, like me, don't work at churches. You, you leave here and you go out into the marketplace. Everywhere you go, you are a carrier of Jesus. You are the light of the world. Continue to be that. It is a wonderful thing. I love my home. There is no more sacred space on planet Earth than my little tiny two and a half or or a quarter of an acre plot of land that I have that is my home. I love it. It's the most sacred plot of land on Earth for me is being at home with my family. I love my personal private prayer time in my office every morning with Jesus. It is sweet and it is sacred. But can I tell you, the marketplace, my personal home, cannot bring what this room right here brings to us every week. There's just something different. When a concentrated coalition of people who are, yeah, we're all different in all kinds of ways, but when we ultimately come here to lift up and honor and worship the precious name of our Savior, Jesus, things start to happen in this room. If we will let it, if we will trust the coach, if we will if we will not battle the way the world battles, but we will come to church expectant, we will come to church uh, ready to hear from God, we will come to church ready to get outside of all of our chaos and our our crazy, and just put our eyes on Jesus and start thinking about and lifting up His holiness, not our situation, but His holiness. Things happen like never before, and so here's what happens: they just have church, and I'm going to go through it fast because. I want to cliff notes this, but the first thing a great leader does is he gets up and he just starts preaching to them. They got to go to war in 48 hours and he's going to start preaching the word of God. But you know what he's doing? What all great preaching should do at some point, he starts, you're going to hear it. He starts to remind them of past victories. He starts to, to, to re up on the character and the nature of Yahweh. He reminds them about how good and faithful God has been to them throughout all the wars of Israel. So here's what he says. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. He's reminding them of who their God is. Power and might, God, are in your hand. No one, not even the Moabites or the Ammonites or Jeff City, no one can stand withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? See, he's reciting past victories and promises. They have lived in it and have built it in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity, I love this statement of faith. They built a temple to say this. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will, you hear this language? We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress. They're having church here, and you will hear us, and you will save us. Some of you walk in here, and calamity might be, The theme of your week or your month or unfortunately, maybe even your year sword, famine, unemployment, struggling to pay the bills, joblessness, homelessness, whatever it may be. That may be your situation. But when the church is being what the church is supposed to be, this is the refrain that blesses the heart of God and causes God to move on our behalf, which is no matter what we walk in to the temple with, no matter what we walk into church with. Here's what we know. We will proclaim your holy name. We will cry out in distress and you will hear us and you will, by faith, save us. Jehoshaphat says, but now here, God, are her men from Ammon. I love it. In, in the middle of the temple, they're being honest about their problems. Here are the men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Sire, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us, coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? And then listen to listen to what King Jehoshaphat says. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. <laughs> we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That right there is horrible national leadership, but great spiritual leadership. Could you imagine if George W. a couple days after 9/11? got up at a, a press briefing and said those very words to America, he would be, I mean, CNN would lynch the guy. Like, like, if he got up and said, we don't have power to face this vast army that just knocked two of our biggest towers down in America, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are, like, I'll, let me put it in his terms. Let me, let me do George Bush. Real quick. We, we don't have the power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, <laughs> but our eyes are on you. Sorry, I just want to have some fun. I want to see if you guys were still listening. That was bad, sorry. Little George W. Like, think about that, though. I, I'm not being judgmental. I would be put off by that. I'd be like, you're our president, and you're coming up here saying, we don't know what to do. I'd be like, no, we know exactly what to do. Unleash the beast that is the American Armed Forces, right? Like, let it go. But, but we don't fight the way the world fights for a city. Our weapons aren't carnal. Our weapons are for something in the unseen world. Like Paul would say in Ephesians 6, that people aren't the problem, right? We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world in this spiritual age, right? Like, that's, that's what, what we, we do. He says, our eyes are on you. Don't you love that? We don't know what to do. this is a healthy church right here. When you have permission to take all the masks off when you walk into this room, we are not doing church well if you feel like you have to walk into this place and play a certain kind of part. You come in and you be exactly you. And if your posture is, God, I came in here today and I don't know what to do about my kids. God, I don't know what to do about my financial situation right now. God, I don't know what to do about this job. God, I do not know what, like we just prayed for our sister. I don't know what to do. What, what do you do with stage four breast cancer? God, I don't know what to do, but I can promise you this. I came to church today to put my eyes on you, God, because I believe you do know what to do. Listen to what's said next. This is this is beautiful to me. All the men of Judah with their wives and children, and listen to this, even the little ones. Y'all, it's hard to bring a little one to church. I just saw a sweet dad have to walk out. What an awesome man of God, letting you stay in here and worship. He walked out with the little one. I see you right here holding the little one in worship. Do you understand how beautiful that is to the heart of God that you've brought your little ones to church? and you have them in the house of God, that you have brought your children, your boys sitting here with you to church. Do you know what a sweet expression and beautiful thing that is to God? Something powerful happens when church becomes a family thing. Moms and dads, and I know some of you in here, you're, you're grieving because you're like, we've done everything we could to get our kids and they're, they're, they've walked away from the Lord or they're not currently serving the Lord. Well, that's what we're here to fight for you with. We're here for you. We're gonna believe for prodigals to come home But in the meantime, if you're a a husband in here, man, let me speak to you. If you're a husband in here, man, every now and then throughout the year, you just got to rise up and say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I love sports and I love activities and I love hunting and I love hobbies and football and the bears and all that is great. But not at the expense of church, because when we gather Church can do something for your whole life that no football game or or no 10 point buck. Or, or no, you know, fish that you're going to lie about its size anyways. There's no, <laughs> ladies, there's no trip you can take around with the girl. Like, do all of that. Have a blast. I'm for all of those things, but not at the expense of the gathering of the people. Because God just does something special when we come together as like-minded believers and we start to say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but here's what we do promise you. Our eyes are fixed on you. It goes on to say... This, and this is where I'm going to start editing and cliff noting. The Spirit of the Lord, then, right? We think of the gifts of the Spirit. That's a New Testament thing. That was something that happened after G- he, he gave us this Holy Spirit, and now there's gifts in the church. No, 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 no. It was, l- l- look at it foreshadowing. The gifts of the Spirit came upon a guy, he's not the leader, he's not in charge, a guy named Jeh- Jay Z. He comes on Jay Z, <laughs> and he starts to prophesy. He starts to prophesy. Like they're having church, y'all. They're 24, 48, 72 hours away from the implications of life and death, literally. Not figuratively, this, this really happened. And they're just in temple having church, trusting that God, God's got to do what they couldn't do on their best day. There's no way they can beat the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Jebusites. There's no way, they can't do it. Doesn't make sense on paper, but we don't battle. Remember what Paul said is the church? When we walk in this church thing out, we don't battle the way the rest of the world battles. That's why this moment is so holy when you choose to show up to church. That's so why I'm so grateful. You should, you should it, it, not pridefully, but in a, in a really honest way, you should be so glad for yourself that you came to church today. You made the best decision you can make all week. You're already one for one on the week and it's just started. Good for you guys for prioritizing this and for being here. Now here's what happens next. After... He's done prophesying. It says this after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men, listen to this, to do what? Appointed men to do what? Swing swords? Start headbutting and getting fired up? Did he appoint him to go get the cannons and the fireballs ready to throw over, you know, at the enemy? No, no, no. He appointed men, listen to this, to sing. We don't fight the way the world fights. Warriors in the kingdom of God are worshipers. Warriors in the kingdom of God are worshipers. I want a challenge for a city. It's been the first time we've heard this, but we cannot quit challenging each other. When we spend half our service in song, it is a deep and profound important moment between us and God. It is not just something we do as a filler. It is not something we do to entertain. It is not something we do just because it's a nice thing. Everyone likes to get together. It's not just this little, again, Christian karaoke. When Carrington or Lauren or whoever it is that is singing and leading us and singing the songs of God over us, something is always happening in the spiritual realm if we will simply just worship in spirit and in truth. If we will just lean in. It is a power Thing to come to church and together start singing songs of praise and affirmation to the one that we're about to sing to in a minute or two, Jesus. After they consulted the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise Him for a city for the splendor, not of the situation, the splendor of what? His holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I don't think that would have scared the Moabites too much, just like our blind round probably didn't scare Jeff City too much. But you know what it did scare? The devil. On the front lines, you would normally have your biggest, baddest, toughest soldiers to make a statement to the opposing people as you started marching towards them. But who does God put because we don't fight the way the world fights. Who does God put? He puts men, the flutist. Ooh, real scary, ooh, right? Front lines. Whoa, not the flutist, right? But no, no, no. God says, man, when I, the tongue has the power of life and death. So when you start speaking about the holiness and the power and the splendor of what your God Yahweh is capable of, it is a powerful thing. You can do that every day, anywhere you want, but think about when a coalition of faith-filled people get together and we attach harmony and we attach melody and we attach beautiful vocals to it. And we all together lean in and say, I am here to praise God. And I don't know, anything about what he's gonna do. Look, anybody can praise on the backside of God answering prayer, and that's a time to praise. I love those kind of prayer moments. I love praising God when he has answered the prayer. I love those moments when you are praising God out of victory, but stop for a minute, y'all. Praising God when you don't have a clue how something's gonna turn out. Can I read you what it does? As they begin to sing in praise, again, haven't, haven't gone to war yet. They're about to. They don't, they don't have a clue. Everything on paper says they're about to be destroyed. As they begin to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Praise ambushes the enemy of your soul like very few things ever will. Again, this isn't some nice thing we do at church to fill time. I want you to, I'm pleading with you. When we let them lead us, but more importantly, lead ourselves to enter in, to sing songs to a holy God. Do you understand the the enemy who's crafty? There's a lot of things, but he is not dumb, the Bible tells us. He's crafty. He does not know what to do. He is bewildered defeated and ambushed when a group of people start lifting up the name of Jesus when you don't know what the outcome is, when you haven't had that prayer answered yet. When you start praising the name of Jesus, when you start calling on the name of the Lord who is a strong tower, and you run to him for safety, the enemy gets ambushed in your life. He does not know what to do, but we have to trust that because it's blind. We don't fight the way the world fights. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. You think your problems are on paper right now, but no, they are spiritual battles, and so we fight spiritual ways, and so that's why I wanted to cliff notes this. Are we doing all right? We're doing all right. Let's go. Chad, wrap it up. So they begin to sing, and it messes with the enemy. Long story short, they never swing a sword. They never lose a life. And they completely win the battle because all of the enemy turned on themselves and started fighting each other in confusion. That's what happens, and all God says is, I want you to preach about my victories. I want you to preach about past promises. I want you to come together, men, women, children, and babies. And I want you to sing praises to a God after victory and more importantly, before victory. And then you let me do the heavy lifting. They won the war. And this is what's cool about a a powerful church. It didn't just land with them. Listen to the last verse. The fear of God came upon what? All the surrounding kingdoms. I dream of being a part of churches in a church where surrounding kingdoms start to take notice of the name of Jesus, because what's happening in this building right here, because we're winning wars right here because of the way we preach, because of the way we pray together. When we prayed together as a church for some people in our church, I was tearful. It was so beautiful. I'm like, we're doing what Jesus asked us to do. We don't need gimmicks church is so full of gimmicks right now, trying to get people to come in. We're not a fast food restaurant. We're the church of the living God. We don't need gimmicks. We need prayer. We need praise. We need the word of God to go forth. And if we will all choose to make that our priority and let it happen and be here and be present and be expectant and lean in, man, God's going to move. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Here's my favorite part. I am believing this as we start to sing this song we're about to sing right now. The kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at what? Peace. I want peace for everyone in this room. Why? Because it's one of the last things Jesus said before he died for our sins. My peace I give you. My peace I leave you. He wants to do that today. Do you believe that? We're going to sing about it. Not only peace, but this, it even gets better. For God had given his people rest. Sabbath, true Sabbath, true rest on every side. Why? Because they trusted the coach and they said, we're not going to fight the way the world fights. We're gonna preach, we're gonna pray, we're gonna praise, we're gonna come together as families and we are as a coalition of faith gonna lift up the holiness and splendor of God and trust him to win the battles for us. So will you guys all stand? I don't know if you're encouraged today, but I just preached myself super happy. I feel great, I feel great. Hey, come on, as we're about to lift up the name of Jesus, pour out your heart to him. Do some battle. Put your faith in Jesus. Lay all your problems at your feet, at his feet. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Let's sing.